The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning. Uh, I appreciate um, Karen. We, we have at Esperanza Health Center, we've had a number of volunteers and actually, actually employees come from Karen. And also, my mentor of many years, uh, Pastor Emmanuel Ortiz, was a student here when there were probably maybe two buildings here way back in the 70s and 80s. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, um, I've known a lot of people related to Karen, and I appreciate what this place means for the kingdom of God in the, in the greater Philadelphia area. And I, I am glad to be here. I, had, I have a bad habit of being late, which true to form, I was this morning. But um, I had a dream last night that I was extremely late to this. And not only that, uh, I was in India. And <laughs> it was, it was going to take two hours to get to the, here, and there was only one hour left. And so... Mark's wonderful wife, Dana, who many of you probably know, was very worried, and so she got me this taxi that was driving like a lunatic through these mountain roads. Um, so fortunately, I woke up, and that uh, wasn't quite such a serious situation. Um, uh, we also appreciate that uh, Mr. Cushman is on our board of directors, and um, so if you want to learn more about the Esperanza Health Center, we're a nonprofit, Christ-centered a Christian clinic that focuses on medical care for the medically underserved in North Philadelphia. We have three clinics. I could tell you more about it, and Mr. Cushman could as well. So I'm kind of speaking out of that perspective of being in North Philadelphia for many years. Some of you may be familiar with North Philadelphia. And I want to be very clear that what I'm going to share is only my perspective. It's not the perspective of my clinic or of your chaplain uh, or anyone else, but these are things that uh, I feel very strongly about, uh, and I feel that the Lord has been speaking to me about, and that is about violence, truth, and the heart of God, particularly as we're experiencing it in Philadelphia. So I want to read, as a way of beginning, two passages. We'll look at several passages very briefly over the course of this time. One is Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and then verse 31. So this is the creation story. So Genesis 1, 26 through 28 says the following. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then in verse 31, after all of the days of creation, it says, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So there is that creation of humanity that is totally unique within creation. So much so God repeats himself various times, and then we have a whole other version of it in the following chapter. So there is a preciousness about that image of God. So then if you go ahead to chapter 6, 
Um, we have the story of the time of the flood, but there's this statement at the beginning of why this happened. So I'll read this just little portions here. It begins there, chapter 6, verse 1, when man began to multiply in the face of the land and the daughters were born to them. Then it kind of goes on to describe that. And then it says, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. There continues to be the growth of humanity. And then it says here, verse 5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So to bring this home, I'm going to talk, we'll return to these passages in a moment. But I want to mention uh, a number of names. So just tell me if, well, you don't have to tell me anything, but you can be thinking. Have you heard of the names Brianna Taylor, George Floyd, Jacob Blake? So these were all unarmed black people who were killed by police. They're famous, and it's a short list. Now I want to read to you another list. This is much longer. In fact, it's longer than all of the unarmed black people killed by police in the entirety of 2020, in the entire country of 340 million people. These are the number of people in one month, in one city, in one state that were killed in Philadelphia in the month of September. Common homicides. Uh, 2021 is going to break the record of the most homicides in a year in the history of Philadelphia. And for those of you who have been in Philadelphia for a long time, that's saying something. It is September specifically, unless things are much worse in November and December, which is always possible. September was the worst single month in the entire history of Philadelphia of people being murdered. So I'm going to read the list, a list of the names of these people just as a way of remembering them because they're not very well remembered. So I want to ask us to do two things. Remember each one of these people. I'll read the date they were killed their name and their age, and then think if you have ever heard of any of these people. So here we go. It's a long list. September 1st, Margot Williams, 73. September 3rd, Jalil Abdulohad, 23. September 4th, Two people, Brian Mitchell, 56, Akil Athi, 
25. September 6th, Jordan Murray, 19. Wilfredo Rodriguez, 52, right around the corner from our 5th Street Clinic. September 7th, Cassandra Holland, 43. September 8th, Hanif Crump, 24. Also, Yusef Kazal, 64. September 10th, near our Hunting Park Clinic, Devin Miles, 30. September 11th, Jawan Scott, 19. September 12th was a bloody day. Michael Rivera, 31, near our 5th Street Clinic. Johnny Robinson, 36. Antonio Moore, 39. Hanith Prey, 24. Theodore Taylor, 39. September 14th, Rashid Clement, 15. Unusually, he's the only child killed that month. There are other months where there are multiple children who have been killed. September 15th, Kamaj Rudd, 19. Jarrett Culler, 34. September 16th, Sidney Sesums, 19. Isidro Cortez, 28. September 18th, another bloody month, or day. Salim Pointer, 30. James Wilkerson, 30. Raji Crossland, 23. James Steele, 54. And near our Hunting Park Clinic, right around the corner. Jasmine Welcome, 33. September 19th, Glenn Parker, 22. September 20th, Tamir Burchett, 23. And Stephen Jones, 26. September 21st, Hakeem Dunn, 37. George Christian, 28. Tiffany Blassengale, 57. Ishmael Goodwin, 27. Rafiq Flamer, 27. September 22nd, Lisa Lewandowski, 47. Joseph Johnson, 22. Philip, uh, September 23rd, Philip Wise, 46. And then this is a very touching one in that they only know that this person is dead. They don't know who they are. John Doe. The second page. September 23rd, Efrain Sanchez, 31. Terrell Harris, 29. The worst day of the month, with six people killed on one day in Philadelphia. September 25th, Roy Nell Houston, 30, near our Kensington Allegheny Clinic. Deshaun Hinnant, 28. Nikia Collins, 30. Keith Robinson, 24. Keith Pullen, 39. Juwayne Bentley, 27, near our Hunting Park Clinic, basically right next to it. September 26th, Charitza Reyes, 30. September 27th, Jarek Jenkins, 33. Jamel Williams, 22. 
Charles Mays, 56. September 29th, Chandra Jones, 24. And to go out with a bang on September 30th, David Johnson, 40. Nazim Weidman, 18. Troy Berry, 33. Todd Reeves, 53. Amen. So my question, you don't have to answer it out loud, have you heard of any of them? Here's another series of questions for you or, or anyone else of us. Is there any marching going on for any of these names that we don't know about? Any taking of a knee? Any black box on Facebook for these people? Any putting up signs on front lawns or windows? Any teachings being held for these people? More importantly, is anyone going to their funerals? Showing up on their birthday or the anniversary of their murder each year that their mothers are going to be sitting in on for the rest of their lives? Who's hanging in there with the orphans of all these people? Who's going to be spending the years counseling the survivors of the trauma? Another gruesome statistic, among those, the murder rate's been going up for the last five years, by the way, all over the country, but really accelerated the last couple of years. In Philly, in 2020, there was a terrible statistic which there were 14 cases of domestic abuse killings. Until we got to 2021, where thus far this year, there have been 31, mostly women, who have been murdered in domestic abuse situations, a 120% increase, and we're not even at the end of the year yet. There are two women right now on life support who were shot by their significant others in the last couple of days. They may or may not survive. So, the answer to all those questions is probably very few people, but God is doing those things for these people. God knows. He's not partial. He is impartial. His image is on every person and every person who is killed no matter what the circumstances. So, a question for us to just explore here is, what is God doing, feeling, and defining for us as reality? And for that, I think, especially in these times, we need to go to the Bible, not to the media, not to movements, not to self-righteous psychobabble that flows through all the social media. So I'm going to take us a few, a few things. Hopefully this could be helpful for us in thinking about what God's heart is for these things. So the first is from these passages we read is that God created us and what destroys his image is a profound evil no matter where it comes from. Right now I'm getting my kids to memorize the Ten Commandments um, which you got to shorten some of them if you want them to actually remember them. So one of the shortest is Exodus 20.13. 
you shall not murder. No exceptions, no partiality. You shall not murder. And in the midst of these times, there's this question of what is justice? Justice, very simply for the Christian, is the law of God. It's not a, it's not a complicated question in a sense. It is the law of God. A second thing, after we consider that God created humanity in his image, and each uh, human that is uh, destroyed is a profound evil, is that people are responsible. So let's take the case of Cain. So this is in uh, Genesis 4. And I'm just going to focus on verse 7. So we know what happens with Cain. He's, he's unhappy. This is before he's killed his brother. But this is the first homicide. So the Lord says to him in verse 6, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. There's that reality of sin since the fall, and that we need to be aware of it, and we are responsible for it. And God has given the means to not be dominated by it. We must rule over it. A third thing, that I think is very important at this point, I think about this when I think about all those names, which, uh, of course, are only a portion of the names of people. I, uh, the, on Hunting Park Avenue, not far from where we live and work, um, next to this mosque, there's this big three-story mural. It's very beautiful. It's very simple, light blue, and then all the names of people who have been murdered within a certain period of years. So I've seen it many times. I was driving by there recently, and I, I thought, I realized this thing is really outdated. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in Philadelphia who have been killed since this mural was done. It would take another three or four buildings to include all of those names. The, this third thing, which I think is something I think about, especially in the last few years as the murder rate has gone up, is that when we do look to the Bible for our reality, we look to the reality that God established government. Now, obviously, we're not going to work out a whole theology of civil government here, but there's all kinds of disagreement among Christians about the role of government, what the tax rate should be, if there should be any tax rate at all, whether government should be involved in providing a federal infrastructure, whether the government should control the monetary system, whether the government should get involved in, in foreign affairs, and so on. But one thing for a Christian that should be indisputable is that government exists by God's ordination to restrain evil. So there is much to be said about this in the Bible, but in Romans 13, I just want to read the beginning there. And it says here, verse 1, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, 
and those that exist have those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear? Would you have no fear for the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Now, this is one of the, um, these passages that make everybody nervous when you talk about it, because there's so much disagreement and so on. But there it is. Now, we can see that sin affects every aspect of that, because the authorities can abuse this mandate and not properly uh, punish evildoers and not properly protect innocent people. So sin affects everything, including the government. But of course, we, like I said, we don't have time to talk about all of that. But we can talk about this point, which is that if government does not effectively punish evildoers or restrain evil, it's not fulfilling its mandate. And there are consequences by doing that. I'll give a, a couple of examples far afield from Philadelphia. Uh, so our, our family is from Colombia originally, South America, but I grew up most of my life in California. But my father told me about, in 1948, I'm sure most people here are not very acquainted with uh, Colombian history, but in any case, a very important moment happened in 1948. <clears throat> there were two major political movements, and there was a very popular uh, populist um, uh, candidate for president, Jorge Eliezer Caetan, and he was on a parade in Bogota, the capital, and somebody assassinated him. They never actually figured out who. But then ensued what's, what's called the Bogotazo, which was this incredible uprising where there was rioting and looting all over the place. And as my father recounts it, uh, basically there was no order in the city for about a week. So anybody, all these bands of people were entering into houses, killing people, robbing, burning, and so on. And he said, that had a profound impact on me. What if we are actually in a situation where there is nothing restraining the hand of evil? That was what it was like in the Bogotazo. Uh, there were no consequences for someone getting killed or robbing someone's house, and, and on it went. And there are other examples. It just I think if we were to interview anybody in Somalia, in Afghanistan currently, or uh, some of you, or the Eastern Congo, um, or uh, most of you might not really remember too much about this, but there was the horrible genocide in Rwanda in 1994, and the world community is heavily responsible for that because they knew what was going on and they did nothing. And so the people who were just running around killing uh, as many uh, Tutsis as possible were able to do that for five months. And finally, the international community said, okay, well, maybe 800,000, million people are probably enough. Okay, let's intervene. And then it stopped because there was some kind of governmental force that intervened. So there is this basic biblical theology that 
whatever else you might disagree with about government, it exists to restrain evil. And when it doesn't do that, it is not fulfilling its mandate, its holy mandate, and there are horrible consequences. So in the case of Philadelphia, one of the things that has had a terrible consequence, not just here, but in around the country, mostly I would say promulgated by people who will never suffer the consequences of this, is saying, we don't need the police in the city. Let's get the police out. And so what's happened? That's happened. There's been a, a pullback even before 2020. And among many other things, this list of people is the lethal consequences of that. And so some of the, the old timers here right, remember, might remember when New York City was the epicenter of murder in the United States, over 2,000 murders a year. Its population was decreasing. It was basically a, a city in free fall. Then the police, which had had a, a history of corruption and brutality and so on, went through a remarkable transformation using more modern methods, accountability for lowering crime rates, and so on. It's a long story. But eventually, in that city that had had 2,000 murders a year, they got it down to close to 200. Now think of that. If they had continued, let's just say for 10 years and had not lowered it, there would have been, you can, you can kind of do the math, but somewhere on the order of 18,000 people that would have been killed if that had not happened. So all of this is relative. They weren't performing the role, the mandate of God perfectly, but it was a whole lot better in, uh, by the 2000s than it had been in 1990. And as a result, you see a flourishing of what happened in New York City. Now, that was a while ago. Things are turning back. But this is a primary response, responsibility of government. It doesn't matter whether it's a secular government, uh, explicitly religious government, it really doesn't matter. This is God's mandate on the government, because remember, Paul was writing that letter in the time of the Romans. So, as believers, we have to examine our souls by the scriptures. Do I push for things that would go against the mandate of God, which is sinful enough, but on top of that, cost hundreds and hundreds of lives? And at this point, if you take, we only looked at one month in the city of Philadelphia. If you look across the country, you're talking about this pullback from effective policing has cost thousands and thousands of lives. So that blood is on our society. It didn't have to be this way. And it comes down to these names that we just read. And I've been at many of these funerals. Now, some people feel this is kind of an exaggeration, that things aren't as evil as they might think. So think about some of the stories behind some murders. There was a, a woman I knew. Um, her son went to our church. She took care of these two little children. Well, the two little children's girlfriend was or uh, mother was the girlfriend of a guy who was kind of in and out of drug, drug dealing. So something happened between him and either a competitor or one of his overlords. And so one night, 
This has happened a number of times in Philly. The competitor came and firebombed that house of the girlfriend. Not the guy he was mad with, but his family, saying, sending a message. So because they're in one of these houses, it has these bars and whatnot, the fire just spread very quickly, and the mother was killed, and the two kids were burned alive. That's evil. Those kids, I think, were something like two and three years old. Now, obviously, everybody related to them was affected. This woman who was bringing them up as their nanny, so to speak, was devastated by it and is still affected by it. That's the type of evil that needs to be restrained. And it's a good thing to restrain that evil. It's a good thing that two- and three-year-old kids do not get burned alive in their houses in Philadelphia. But if I were to go through the stories of children that were killed this year in Philadelphia, there are going to be a lot of stories like that. And this isn't even to talk about the kids. In the case, for example, these two women who are in the hospital right now, who were, one of them was shot right in front of her, her infant children and killed right, well, she's not dead yet, but she may die, um, right in front of them. Who's going to be ministering to that trauma for the rest of their lives? So, speaking of trauma, this is also the heart of God, to heal trauma. So I want to take us to um, Psalm, let's see, where was I? Sorry, I got things confused here. Um, Yeah, Psalm 147. And all of these things are, are calls to enter into this heart of God of what we can be doing. Psalm 147 says this. We'll read through uh, verse 3. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. In the face of evil and violence, he is a a healing God. He binds up these healings. And so we can be healers in the face of violence around us. Uh, whether it's in Philadelphia, or in, and of course, lots, there's lots of non-lethal violence. Uh, it would be good to see a college administration occupied some time and the students saying, we demand that our school get involved with healing and visiting the survivors of murder. But I have never heard of that happening. Whether it's in that form or in that just long-term uh, participating in people's healing, this is the heart of God. This is a calling of God. And as a chaplain to a a clinic, where obviously most of our patients are in North Philadelphia, but also probably about 80% of our employees are from Philadelphia, there's just oceans of possibilities of involvement with that, of, of helping people experience the healing of this God in their brokenheartedness over 
And of course, this doesn't have only to do with, with violence, uh, many other things. So there is that healing of trauma from our holy God. Finally, there is that uh, call from God to be responsible for what works for his ends and not just what feels good for us. To engage in what works for his ends and not just what feels good for us. So if you want to turn to John 8. And we have the the famous statement of Jesus. John 8, 32. Actually, we'll start in verse 33. He says, or it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So there is this call to be in his word and to have that show us what is the truth. That's the dividing line. That is the measuring stick. That is the definition of reality for us, is what is in his word. Not what is in the media, not what's in the, you know, the, I'm not on social media at all, praise God, uh, but my wife is. But, I, I, you know, and you've probably seen all of the, um, Stuff coming about about the from these whistleblowers from Facebook and so on. All these studies, the social media have been around long enough that we can actually now see scientifically its effect on humanity, and it's a pretty bad picture, especially on women and, and younger girls, but pretty much anybody. And one of the things that it does is it it begins to define and create what reality is for us, supposedly. So we need to remember even more so that Jesus said these words. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We need the truth, not only for us to be able to see what is actually going on. So if we looked at the proportion of media dealing with violent death in the U.S., we would have a totally disproportionate view of reality. But if we look at actual documentation, things like, by the way, this is a, if you want to kind of have something touch your heart, I get all this information from a wonderful nonprofit called the Philadelphia Obituary Project. And their mission is very simple. It is to document and provide an obituary for every person who dies a violent death in Philadelphia which seems very simple, but it's not so simple, partly because the numbers are overwhelming and partly also because it's not so easy to get information. But it's very moving. You go there, they provide the monthly total, but then, as much as they can, they provide a picture and a story about that person, that person created in God's image who is no longer here. And that in and of itself has a very healing effect uh, for I think for families is just to have someone remembered, not to be an anonymous statistic. So that that truth is necessary for seeing reality, and then what to do about it, what to do about it, is also defined by the scriptures. And there are a lot of different approaches to all kinds of things, of course, but they need to be measured through the truth of the scriptures. So I want to call us to 
remember how beautiful it is that someone is created in God's image, how horrific it is for that image to be destroyed, how important it is to participate in God's mandates for setting that right and for healing trauma and coming alongside people. A lot of that is very unromantic um, and very anonymous, but it is the heart of God for these situations where his image is destroyed in people. So I want to just close us in a word of prayer and then I guess send you all out. Lord God, we thank you that your scriptures reveal for us what is reality about our world. We thank you how you've made provisions for justice. You have made provisions for grieving. You have made provisions for the healing of the brokenhearted. And I pray, Lord, that we can enter into that, be voices for that, live sacrificially for that, And Lord, I pray, just in this very specific case, that you, by your holy power, would decrease the homicide rate. Of course, we would love to see it go down to zero. uh, But to decrease it, and Lord, I pray for that list of people that uh, that I read for all of us. I don't know a single one of them. But I pray, Lord, that you would be healing and touching each one of those lives that's no longer, or that, that were affected by these lives that were taken away. And make them healers, Lord, of people around them. There is a great need for that. So, Lord, I pray you would bless everyone here. Help us to uh, have a good weekend and remember your voice and your heart for the things around us. In Jesus' name, amen.